forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. What sins have you committed? <laughs> well... Hey everyone, welcome to Forgive Me, Father, a podcast where we discuss how certain aspects of life and a walk with God go together or don't mesh so well. Through discussions of personal vices and victories, we hope to help you, the listener, understand others more and create conversations, no matter what you've experienced or believe. So I knew you had like the one tattoo. I don't know. What's the one up here near your chest say? What is that? Like, what's that writing? Okay, so it says, or does it explode? It's from Langston Hughes' poem, Harlem, which was written later on in his career. And the main point of the poem, it opens saying, what happens to a dream deferred? And there's a lot of imagery of what happens. Does it stink like rotten meat? Does it crust and sugar over up like a syrupy sweet? Does it sag like a heavy load? And then there's like this space and it says, or does it explode in italics? And it's talking about Harlem itself and how Harlem became such an epicenter for great black music, black history, black advancement, basically. Uh, And then the culture became kind of characterized by white people. Like it kind of became ran over once like black culture became popular in a sense. And so it's kind of like this, this, this poem of like anger or like sadness or sorrow towards Harlem and the explosion part, it can be looked at different ways. Uh, some people look at, is it like, Oh, is it like an explosion where like it comes, like there's like a big bang and it comes back stronger, but there's also the idea of like, or does it explode it in which something explodes and becomes nothing. So it's this really big lingering question of what's going to happen after the explosion uh, or what's the effect of the explosion. And so I took that as that, that dividing question was very, intriguing to me and that poem was always very intriguing to me when i looked at the different context of it and i think for myself as a human you know i we go through so much you know in human nature and our different walks in our lives and so that was always a big question that really lingered with me and so i was like if i'm gonna get any any lines tattooed on my body that's a, that's a poem it's gonna be that uh, but then i'm also gonna get robert frost's lines on my inner arms and one side is gonna say the woods are lovely, dark and deep. And that's going to be a part of my sleeve that has like woods. And then it has like a reflection of my, on my forearm of like a city of like a skyline. And then the left side says it's from the same poem and it says, and miles to go before I sleep. And that this is going to be my left side is more of like the spiritual philosophical tattoos. And so there's gonna be heavenly clouds that kind of form a background over this collage of tattoos. So that poem has meant a lot to me as well. And so I'm going to have those tie in. Uh, when everything is all said and done. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty neat. Like, I mean, I have my, uh, it didn't hurt too bad. Like on, on the inside, it just get like in certain spots, it hurts. Because um, mm-hmm. I got my favorite uh, Bible verse right here on mine, um, mm-hmm. which is Galatians 2.20. I didn't get the whole thing because like, because that's a long verse. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. When I first got it, I was like, okay, like, yeah, I can get the whole thing on there. And then as he looked at it, he's like, yeah, we're not going to be able to get the whole thing on there. He like mm-hmm. just pick like what part you want the most, mm-hmm. and then we'll and then we'll put that on there. So that that's like okay, cool. And then now I I have an idea of what for one that I'll probably get in like December or sometime early next year because Katie wants me to basically think about it. I'm still, <laughs> thinking, I'm still thinking about it, you know. Then okay, cool. You can basically go get it. What is uh? What's the idea? So we listened to a message about like what does the Bible say about um? Yeah, like. It's a Father's Day message, so it's like parenting. Um, and it used the context in the Old Testament of the arrow and what that really meant. Like, you know, the evolution of the arrow is basically the evolution of your children. Hmm. And you want them to go that straight path if possible. So let's say, um, so I found this cool thing with a, it's an arrow for that part. And then like it has uh, a compass. Talking about hmm. how, like, you know, and using that, how like one, God directs their path, but also directs my path. Um, mm-hmm. And then at the bottom has like oh, that arrow is like an anchor and talk, you know, essentially, you know, how God is our anchor and our stronghold and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I haven't decided if I want to do it like right here. Cause like, well, cause then people can see it, but I'm the yeah. type of person that I want to see it. So it's probably going to go on the inside of my forearm. So I can, I'm like, you know, that's if I'm like working out or something. I'm like, oh yeah, like, you, you gotta see it. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully I, I'm trying to find somewhere, hopefully, cause I feel like it's, it's like, I, I like a lot of color. So this one has the one I found mm-hmm. has some color to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just curious of 
you know, I know that it's going to be expensive, so hopefully not too expensive. Mm-hmm. That way I can mm-hmm. just get it done and not have to like do part of it. And then later on get the other half. So mm-hmm. hopefully probably around next couple of months, I'll start trying to guess, shop around and see who has the best, the best deal, you know, yeah. of, you know, cheapness is somewhat that, that still does a good job. Cause I don't want to go. Oh, I'm like, Hey, Oh, you can do this in your backyard. Sweet. Let's do it. <laughs> Um, Someone just stick and poke with like some like pen ink and a toothpick and they're just like, all right, here we go. Like, yeah, I've been doing this for a lot. I've been doing this since, you know, a long time. Like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then, then they like pull out the, yeah, the stick and ink. <laughs> like, oh, it, you know, it's okay. <laughs> I sterilized the needles. It's all good. You know, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat. Like I said, I don't want like a sleeve because I think, I think my wife thinks, I think she's worried about the most is like me because they are addicting. Like oh. when I got the first, oh, yeah. when I got the first one, I'm like, okay. I want my second one, but I, I'm the type of person that I feel like I have to have a meaning behind it. You know, either it could be a story or even start up conversation too. Yeah. I, I've only had one tattoo that I got on a whim that I hadn't thought about. I got two tattoos because it was a Friday the 13th deal and it was like $30. You know, you pick this like random kind of pre-drawing that they already have you have a selection and then you go pay thirty dollars you gotta wait in this line it's kind of like a deli mark where they're like hey you're the 55th person the you know you're up uh and so i got this uh the camp and trees on my right bicep and then uh this wizard who also looks like god staring at a crystal ball with the unlucky number 13 and i had already wanted something kind of like the 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 God looking at a crystal ball, because I think there's some symbolism about how I can view God or I have viewed God in my life where I thought God was just kind of looking at me and being like, <laughs> unlucky. Uh, or he was like seeing these like bad things happen to me. And there was moments where I was like, Oh, he doesn't care. He's just kind of watching. That one was, was pretty planned. But then the other one, I was just like, this is cool. <laughs> right. But all of mine, yeah, all of mine, I had to definitely take some time to think about today. We're going to be talking about drugs and alcohol either through personal experience using them or, or familial history and how that affects our walks with God and how that affects how we view God and even sometimes how people view us because of drugs and alcohol as well. Today we have a good friend of mine, Robert Mullins. Go ahead and say hello to the people. Hey guys. Robert and I, we go way back. We've shared actually two jobs. We shared working at a daycare together in Salem, Virginia. And then we also shared working at a coffee shop together in Blacksburg, Virginia for, it was about, it was about a summer, right? You were the assistant store manager for a couple months there uh, while I was living up there going to school. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably about a month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, church, uh, working at a daycare was where we actually like grew to know each other a little spiritually. Um, we shared different experiences and stories and I'm really excited for you guys to hear Robert's story today. So Robert, go ahead and let them know a little bit, a little bit about you. All right. As John said, my name is Robert. I live um, in Benton, Virginia. Um, I have uh, two children. One is four and one will be a month on Monday. Uh, so I've got a newborn and then my wife, um, Katie. I currently are kind of in lingo between jobs, but I am working out Wells Fargo as a customer banker over the phone. So it's going to be different because I'm not used to having a desk job. So that's going to be, you know, a fun uh, transition. Um, <laughs> but still working at Starbucks too, because, you know, I can't, once you get the coffee and the coffee gets in your veins, you can't, like you can't leave. It's like the, sir- the sirens always got you no matter what. So that's right. Fully addicted. Yeah. Um, as far <laughs> as interests go, I, you know, I like coffee kind of weird. I like, I like my beard. So every once in a while, you know, I try to, I make sure that looks, you know, looks good and nice. <laughs> Have pride in that, for pride and joy. And then just being outside and um, mostly spending time with family. That's, you know, something that's really um, super important. Yeah. But I remember you and I talking just about, you know, our different church experiences and stuff like that. And I remember you and I said that we had a similar history with, with growing up religious, right? Because you went to certain like vacation Bible schools and and different church camps and stuff like that. So do you mind kind of, kind of sharing your walk with, with God in terms of giving like a brief overview of, of that? Right. Yeah, definitely. So growing up, I didn't come uh, too familiar from like a religious family and all in all, like we would be, we go to vacation Bible school and they heard vacation Bible school going on, I guess, and said, Hey, you know, you're going. So growing up, I didn't have, I guess, a strong foundation of 
um, my walk with God, but it wasn't until maybe high school when I was in foster care is when I kind of started that journey of um, learning who God was and becoming more the man that I am now through certain, whether through the experiences that I had or the people that have helped uh, shape me into that person that I am today. Yeah. And, and kind of just diving straight into the, the topic of, of drugs and alcohol. You had, you had shared with me in, in our meeting beforehand that drugs and alcohol were actually a, a big part of why you were in foster care growing up, correct? Correct. Uh, do you mind telling us just a little, bit, uh, a little bit about that and how that started to play into your walk with God? All right, yeah. So on two separate occasions, um, we, got, we got removed from our, the home Again, some of it had to do with like not going to school, but majority of it, like there was drugs involved as well. I remember uh, being, I want to say it was either sixth or seventh grade. I remember the, I uh, went to middle school and I remember like the, the bringing me into the room and talking to me. And then I remember going home and telling my dad and them that, hey, you know, I told them this, you know, because they told me that, you know, my brother had already told them this and they already knew. So they, you know, somewhat tricked you into kind of saying something based off, you know, Oh, we already know. So, um, mm -hmm. but still even then through that, they still chose to have drugs in the house. And so there was that aspect of it. And a lot of it, you know, my parents got into some of the, you know, harder drugs. And so we got put in the foster home. Um, and that's kind of when that journey kind of began of learning Christianity and, um, religion. Mm-hmm. So was it was it your it was your foster family that that kind of introduced you into into church? Was it like you like went to church with them or? Yeah, so they you know they were a type of family that would go like Sunday, Wednesdays, you know, somewhat anytime the church doors were open, you know where you were going. Uh, so they kind of like I think going through that process of going to church, but then um, a thing that stuck with me a lot is on you know sunday nights we'd have like they where they read the bible and so reading the bible to us and that then in return got my wheels turning of thinking about things like why does god allow this to happen or why does why do bad things happen um and so really asking those questions again and i think that's where the beginning for a lot of people start with religion and christianity or whatever religion they may be you know, looking towards just that curiosity factor of you know mm -hmm what led up to that like what and so that curiosity is kind of what helped me to realize that you know i needed christ in my life and so when i was 17 is when i accepted christ as my savior it's interesting that you know i think and even just to talk about drugs and alcohol i think that there's a lot of opposition that that happens with that you know it's like oh drugs and alcohol is going to automatically take you away from your faith or it's going to inhibit your faith or you can't truly glorify God if you're involved with these things. Uh, and not that you were involved yourself, you know, like through the myriad of your, of your childhood. But I think it is interesting that, that drugs and alcohol actually led you to being interested in, in your walk with God. Cause that's not, like I said, that's not something that, that most people have a shared experience of. Cause with me, it's, it was like drugs and alcohol gross because of God, you know, I don't know. I just thought it's, I think it's interesting that it worked the other way around for you. I, yeah, I think it goes to the point of, you know, where in like Jeremiah, like how there's like that plan that we have for our life that God has for us that's already, you know, mapped out. Um, mm -hmm. So I think if that's just the part of my, the story, the testimony that I have that led me through that is because that it sucks going, you know, when you're younger, it sucks going through that factor. But then as I've grown and matured in my Christianity and my walk, then it, it, it brings it full circle. So it allows you to really understand the plan and how that really worked out. Mm -hmm. So when you, with growing up and discovering God and discovering a relationship with him and learning how to walk with him and accepting him as your savior, did drugs and alcohol ever pop up when, like after you had begun your walk with God and, and what was your reaction? Like it, when and if they did? Um. So it definitely popped up. So, I, I mean, at first, like, I mean, we stumble and we're not as strong as in our walk. So there was time, you know, there was a time that I can remember in high school that, you know, we live in Danville and uh, 
I got involved with a group of people at, you know, the school that I was going to and, you know, they smoked marijuana and stuff like that. So to kind of be cool or to fit in because we moved around a lot. So I didn't really have that, that set friend, you know, linkage to people because like we moved around a lot. So whatever you can do to kind of fit in, you're like, okay, cool. I kind of more identify with these people because the things that they were doing, you know, that my parents made that did or, you know, to me was like, I don't want to say the comfortability thing, but it's like, I understood it. So it's like, cool. So um, there was a couple of times that I smoked with them or whatnot, but, mm-hmm. uh, and then I wouldn't say I really felt convicted, but I think ultimately as I grew more and more, I think one for me, is like, okay, I, I would, ne- I'm never going to go back to that. Um, that'd be like the drugs part. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there was times, um, especially through my transition at Starbucks now where, you know, as a store manager, it'd be stressful. And like, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of like, man, I can, I know where I can find some, mm-hmm. you know, and that would, you know, hopefully knock the edge off or mm-hmm. calm me down. So instead of doing that route, I went and smoked some black a mile to kind of just get myself mm-hmm. to calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then alcohol is like one of those, it's like, like we're talking about earlier with tattoos. It's like one of those things that definitely in the foster home. Okay, cool. You're not doing that. Like it's not a, you know, not a thing. Um, yeah. Bad, like you said. But now, like, even with tattoos and, like, you know, really thinking about, like, you know, I'm using my tattoos, like you were saying earlier, to bring glory to God, like, and, and spark that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with mine. Like, all my tattoos have some kind of meaning um, mm-hmm. to them. I don't just get, like, a tattoo just to get it. Um, but alcohol is kind of one of the things that, you know, I, in the beginning, because you think about the social norms or the set standard that churches have you know that so that became that that took on that personality like of the church of like hey this is you can't do drink because that you're terrible that makes you a terrible christian that means you're mm. you know, you're not strong maybe um mm-hmm. but as i've gotten older and i mean here and outside i don't drink you know to get drunk or anything like that but you know i do occasionally have a glass of wine or i'm trying to i don't really get into beer because i things just a taste thing for me like just the taste <laughs> even like yeah i even bought some that has like like a coffee flavor to it and i was just like i can drink it a little bit but then after a certain point it's like it's just i don't know it tastes nasty to me um mm-hmm. so if i do drink it's either wine or i do sometimes like might have like some of the harder stuff like a you know a little bit of jack or whiskey or something like that but it's not like a an everyday occurrence type thing yeah yeah that makes sense yeah i think for me so i have always been more of a whiskey lover. I didn't drink when I was a kid. I, when I was in high school, I didn't ever go to any parties. I never got drunk. I don't think I ever tried beer. I feel like maybe if I tried beer, it's because I was at like at a friend's house and his dad maybe had beer and I was like, Oh, the dad's away. Let me get a sip. And I was like, Oh, this is disgusting. (laughs) Cause like 13 years old, like you don't know what beer tastes like you, like all you know is soda and sweet tea, energy drinks, like, uh, or not, ener- not even energy drinks, but like, well, surge. I mean, I'm not surge was around when you are bought when you were growing up. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the, the somewhat like hyped up Mountain Dew or whatever that we used, mm-hmm. used to have back in my day. Yeah, uh, sports drinks. That's what I meant. You have like sports drinks, you know, and so you don't know what what beer really tastes like or the the aftertaste of liquor. And obviously the effects, you, you hear about it and you see, you see it in TV shows and you're like, oh my goodness, they're losing all their faculties. <laughs> uh, and some people are, are strangely allured by that. I was, never, I was never interested in it when I was younger. I was just always interested in the taste. Uh, but now I, I enjoy the taste. I, I would say I have at least one drink of, of something at night. And it's purely because of the taste. There's nothing, there's no part of me that's like, man, I need a drink to relax or I need a drink to fit in or things like that. But I remember when I was in the campus ministry and I would order like two beers when we were all out to eat or I would order another whiskey and Coke or, you know, whatever it might be. And I was kind of talked to about it. You know, those talks, it's like, hey man, like, I saw you saw you saw you drinking a bit, you know, at lunch. What's uh what's what's going on with that? And I'd be like, I had two beers, you had two waters. It's all the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what do you what do you want from me? Um but it is true that I think it's it's it can be viewed as a 
as not not a deterrent, but you can be viewed as like, oh, oh, he's sinful because he's drinking, you know, because Galatians five actually labels drunkenness as a sin. So for you, where do you draw that line of like, oh, okay, I can I can drink at night, like a glass of wine at night, or I can, you know, we're at a cookout and my friend passes me a can of beer or whatever it is like for you, what is, how are you able to, to, to balance the two or, or be able to be like, yeah, I can have this yet still like be okay in my walk with God. Um, I mean, I guess a lot of it like is knowing your limits because I think like you were like, and it's funny because I actually have Galatians like five written down, like, <laughs> and then you know, talk about it, like that drunkenness part. But I don't think now that I've matured or whatnot, I don't think that drinking alcohol is bad. But I think it's in, it, it's the excessiveness that it, that makes it essentially a sin. Um, you know, mm. like drinking more, like more and more, like because then you're not in control anymore. Like, so I think that's when, like knowing your limits, and then there's a lot of is the key. And like you know, like my mom drank a lot, so like I mean, like not being dependent, like you know, I don't want to ever feel like that I'm gonna be dependent on that um, mm-hmm. per se. So like some couple of facts that I wrote down that I you know if um, cool thing about the Bible is you know I think people think of it as like more like a religious book, mm-hmm. but you know for people who are Christians or maybe even like if people who study it, it's kind of like a big map of like our beginning and our end. But through that we have the expertise that you know the, of the people that God has used to give us like direction in that like i wrote down that i heard from somewhere that there's like 200 over about 248 verses about alcohol in the bible mm-hmm. and then there's 150 of them that talk about it in a positive light so um mm-hmm. so again so again i think some of have that negative part to it but there's you know not necessarily a bad thing i think it's anything anything in this over excessive is then when it comes to sin because then you're kind of i don't want to say you're like it's like you're kind of abusing, but then it like it starts to really, um, whether you think it does or not, maybe. In my opinion, like the more you do something, the more like you involve it in there, the more it has control or grip of you. The more that you feel like you have to, per se, have it, and so it becomes. What's the word I'm looking for? It becomes addictive, and so then it, you know, then it's like okay, I can you, you like with anything. Like for instance, like we work at a coffee shop. Me and you can probably jug, chug five shots, still come home, go to sleep, and be normal. But for some Every people, like, <laughs> for some people, are like, you know, you tell them, like, I drink a trip of iced coffee on the way home. It's like 30 ounces of black coffee. I go home, asleep. You know, they're like, no, if I drink that much right now after five, I'd be up all night. You know, mm-hmm. so I think it's like you, you become, is no the word I want to use? Desensitized? Yeah, maybe it. I think that's a more fancier $5 word. Um, <laughs> English degree at work. <laughs> right. You become desensitized to it. So you like, you know, then you don't really know you're limiting more. And so sometimes that could play into certain things that could happen to you. Like another fact that listening to a sermon that I, you know, heard about alcohol that again, I don't, I didn't like look it up per se myself as far as like where they get the facts from. But I would assume if, I mean, in the context of the message was given, it wasn't like it's bad or good. Um, but it's like, you know, what does the Bible say? Like putting everything through the lens of the Bible, but like 40, 40% of all suicide, including alcohol, where that gives them, hmm. you know, the courage or that, you know, that just, they just drink too much. And so they, you know, that alcoholism or something like that. So it's mm-hmm. just, I think I said, it's not necessarily a sin, but I think, you know, just knowing your limits is where um, is what's key. Yeah, that's a good point because alcohol is a depressant and it really can affect your mood. I know for myself, I've become a little more introspective and I know that I do have to be a little careful with my surroundings. Not that I have had really depressive thoughts lately, but it does make me introspective. It can put me in a certain down mood. And I think when we use that to escape that's when it becomes something that takes our focus off of God, which is something that I had always been told is the, is the greater sin is that it becomes somewhat of an idol or it replaces God on the throne of our life as it was once described to me. And I think drugs are the same way. When you look at weed or even the, the harder ones, you know, the, the scarier ones, the, the ones that are almost taboo to talk about in church, 
crack, heroin, uh, meth, all that different stuff. It's, it's a, uh, it's like a stimulant. It puts you in a better mood. It relaxes the mind. It relaxes the nerves. And I, I think for where I would stand, or I guess like what I would say if someone were ever to ask me is that like everything in moderation, as long as it doesn't replace God in terms of like where you go for comfort or where you go to feel better or, you know, cause ultimately God wants to be that for you. You know, obviously God cares a lot about us as humans and he wants a relationship with us if that's what you want as well. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's, I, I, that's my take on it is that even though I had, I had always been talked to about, you know, you, you seem to be drinking a lot, John, what's, uh, what's happening that my response was always, this isn't anything that's becoming a God to me. It's not becoming too big in my life. And that's where I, I, I learned how to draw the line. Another key thing too, like to go along with like knowing and drawing a line is like, is really understanding. Do you have like an addictive personality? Like if you get involved in something, does that draw you? Because if you, if you have that addictive you know, personality, then it's going to be a lot harder for you to find that line because you're, you're looking for that kind of, um, you know, new high or whatever. Another like fact that got pointed out and that I heard is like one in seven people will become like, so one in seven people who drank alcohol become an alcoholic. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, again, I don't, I'm not saying that that's hundred percent true. I don't, I haven't really like looked into that. Sure. Um, but the fact like that is, I mean, still that, I mean, it's still a big number, like one in seven is not that much, but you know, right. would you allow, would you like, would you allow a dog that was in your, in your house that bit one out of seven people? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Um, so it's just really like knowing if that, if you have that addictive personality, if that's something you should like really pursue because things like that can be addictive. They might not turn out, they might not start out that way. It might be for marijuana, people will say, cause I didn't get into hard drugs, so I only never wanted, like it, it's called the recreational drug. Like I just only do it right. to, right. you know, desynthesize, like decompress or take the edge mm-hmm. off or something like that. that. That's how it starts. But if you're mm-hmm. like, if you have that type of personality and you're going to want more and more. And then, you know, maybe that's why they say it's the gate, like marijuana is the gateway drug to other stuff. It's because mm-hmm. of that, like, because then after that, like marijuana is not cutting it out anymore. You know, it's like, what can I do to, to feel a certain way or to feel a certain high or whatnot? Yeah. Yeah. Everything in moderation is, is super important. Um, so for you now, you're continually walking with God, not saying it's perfect. Uh, we're all human. We all fall short. And so I think where you and I can kind of discuss this as well is that having that experience and then also having a certain influence, you know, at the daycare we were a part of, it was a church daycare. And so you led lessons. Uh, and you had also told me that you had helped out with certain youth ministries in the past and things like that. How important is it to you to set an example? when it comes to drugs and alcohol, whether through conversation or just an action, like example, the cookout example again. Um, I mean, it's definitely I'm important because I, I, again, I, people that go to a church daycare are people that are, you know, a church, like you have to be a certain way. So like we were saying earlier, if you participate in drinking alcohol, like you're not a great Christian, so like that. Um, and it's weird because, you know, you, you know, I guess it's just because like, you're at the daycare and you're at a church, like so. And again, this like goes to the factor of, or we do all have a walk with God, like me and you, but it's not always perfect. So it's like it's one of the things, like you know, as my, growing up, this, and I never thought about this way until you brought it up that way. It's like I remember as a kid, my dad and would always say, "Do as I say, not as I do." Mm-hmm. And so when I'm giving mm-hmm. lessons, when I'm doing lessons, you know, I'm saying, "Hey, don't do this." don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then secretly I may be doing those things, you know, so if I'm going to drink, so most likely if I do like one, I'm kind of like, I'm very conscious of like my surrounding, like make sure I don't see anyone that I'm you know going to know. Um, mm-hmm. But if I'm going to do it, I'm doing it at home. That way it's like, it's in my private home. So it's not necessarily going out. So that way I can still, I guess, essentially be that witness, but it's tricky because like you're telling someone not to do something that you're doing. 
and I think you're, it's not just being like, Hey, don't drink any alcohol at all. You know, obviously we don't have, we don't have these, like, <laughs> we never had these talks with those kids, but mainly just in terms of like being an example, because you're right for you. And you, you already said that you drink in moderation and then you're always really careful. I think it's really important for anyone who has a leadership position or a teaching position in church that they not just say it, but they also do it. And so it'd be really weird if the pastor of your church, you know, you went to his, his place for a Memorial Day cookout and he is just plastered. Because I think the way that you live speaks more to your walk with God than the way that you talk. Because anybody can talk and say, hey, love Jesus, love God, be humble, forgive others, you know. But And it's interesting how like one, one area can be out of whack. And then as a parent, as a leader, as a pastor, as anybody of influence... That all goes out the door once there's one area of your life that doesn't add up to one area of something that you speak on. Right. Yeah, I've always thought that's really interesting. But I also do think that is really important that you, what you were saying is like, yeah, if I, if I say this, I want to make sure that I, I lead by example. I think sometimes too, when we think about drugs and alcohol, what's the thing? I never really had this conversation with my mom and dad. Um, I mean, I probably have my dad now, I can't, I can't, I can't have it with my mom. Like wondering, like what led them, you know, to that factor. Like what led them to want to smoke marijuana or do drugs. What one chose them to to want to drink on a daily basis, and you know, and always be drinking. Like I think sometimes what happens, um, and the thing that was in in the the message, you know, sometimes people are turning to certain things for peace. Um, like he put the the statistics that alcohol sales were up 55% since COVID, you know, and hmm. what else, what else are we going to do? Really? <laughs> um, you know, unless, unless you're married or, you know, whatever, you seem like everyone's having babies. So maybe come January, there's going to be a lot of COVID babies. Um, Another round of baby boomers. <laughs> right. Um, and so like, you know, what really takes you there? I mean, I guess what I would ask anyone who struggles or, you know, in order to be able to help them or whatnot. Um, again, not necessarily saying it was like, like you're saying before or sins, but like what chose you to, you know, pursue that path? Like what, like what was, what, like what was it? Was it like that one factor? Could it be that, you know, you lost your job and so you're just depressed. So alcohol or marijuana depresses that feeling. So you don't, you know, think about it or whatnot, or is it, you know, you have pain or strife or, you know, broken relationships and like that. Mm-hmm. Again, I've never been in there, but I mean, I'm sure we could probably think of instances from daycare that people that kids were in homes that probably never, maybe shouldn't even been in because of certain things. I mean, we didn't know like the whole reasoning why they acted a certain way, but it could be, you know, luckily we never had to deal with it. But I, another statistic with like 80% of uh, domestic disputes is involved that call because it's, because again, you're not in control, you know, luckily, you know, my mom wasn't like a type of person who like, you know, was a, we would say, in our terms, angry drunk, you know, like that would mm-hmm. lash out like when they drink. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of my favorite scriptures when it comes to alcohol specifically, uh, and it's something that I've kind of focused on in terms of what I want my relationship with God to look like. And it's in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 15. Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, the world's wisest man. God asked him if he could have anything, what would it be? And he said, wisdom to rule over his kingdom. And he wrote Ecclesiastes. And in verse 15, it says, So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them and their toil all the days of their life God has given them under the sun. And that's what I, when I imagine a relationship with God, that's usually how I'm like, that's the pinnacle, you know, like I'm going to work hard. I'll enjoy the fruits of those labors and I'll sit back with a glass of, for me, it's whiskey. It'll, it'll probably always be whiskey to eat, drink and be glad. And I read this and I, and I think I still have these doubts in my mind that I can truly drink and, and be a follower of God just because of the way that people have painted it. 
so for you, and this might kind of tie into what we've already been saying, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, would you say that those stand in opposition with God? Do they work as a compliment to God? And you can answer both for yourself personally, but then also uh, as a, your take on, on the topic as a whole. The first thing I'm thinking about that comes to mind, like to kind of maybe help to maybe shed light on it, um, is I want to say it's First Corinthians 10.31, and whatever you eat or drink, uh, do it to the glory of God. I think it's mm. pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what that one is. I don't know. It's like I kind of am like in between. Like I can see how it poses, but I can also see how maybe it might complement because, you know, those things that God has given us. Um, like mm. in one instance, it talks about, you know, if you, um, it's in Proverbs, uh, Psalms 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth from, from the first of all produce. So your barns uh, will be filled with plenty um, and your vats will overflow with new wine. So even there we see that it's, it's God designed to be a blessing right. for us. I don't know where I stand on the answer because like I said, I'm kind of like in between. Like I, I could see mm-hmm. you know, both parts. But I think that then like when we first talked, I'm like, no, it's opposition. But it goes mm-hmm. back to like what you were saying about, you know, teaching the children or whatever, even for you being in campus ministry. Like, what kind of light does that shed for them about Christ, you know? Because Mm -hmm. it it goes back to the thing that we were talking about before, like, everyone has different walks of life. And so someone who doesn't grow up and go to church, they're going to see drinking and alcohol to say, is this something that you can do? Um, For Christians, like, we can see, we can, I can see it's something we can do, but I can also see that it's something that could deteriorates the defer someone um for yeah. instance you know if that person has a big addictive personality for say um example that i that was given to me is like you go to cheesecake factory and your you and your friend you know go to cheesecake factory and your friend has been working his butt off and losing weight are you gonna sit there and eat a cheesecake in front of him mm-hmm. because ultimately it's gonna make them stumble yeah and so that's when uh it was said that you know we have liberty to do those things um, maybe alcohol and you know maybe marijuana. Again, I don't know about the harder drugs because you know that's the stuff, some of that stuff is really kind of man-made more so than right. you know the marijuana because you can grow that and so it's kind of natural. Um, the other mm-hmm. stuff you have to like you know do certain things to create it. If that's the case, then you going back to that verse and whatever you eat or drink and do do it to the glory of God. Then you lay down that liberty of doing it. Because you don't want someone that to be that stumbling block for someone, you know, yeah. if they have a big personality, because then you're essentially causing them to stumble. They might be on a, you know, a path of, you know, getting clean or, you know, abstaining from alcohol because they know that it's not good for them. Mm-hmm. But they see you doing it, then it becomes that stumbling block. So you then you you take that liberty. Mm-hmm. Like a key thing that was said is like I live for we, not for me. So like essentially. You know, if something's going to cause someone to stumble, then you just, you just, you just don't do it flat out, regardless of how, you know, you have liberty. Okay, I want to have a drink at this party or you know, cookout, but I know that if I do that, it's going to cause this person to stumble. So I'm not going to do it at all because I don't want to be that stumbling block for them. Yeah, yeah, and even the scripture that you mentioned earlier, First Corinthians ten thirty one, the verse right after that says, "Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God." even as I try to please every, everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And I think that's the biggest takeaway if you're someone who is following God and you have questions about drugs and alcohol. You're right. It's, it's a gray area and you can enjoy alcohol because God is like, yeah, overflow with wine. Solomon says to eat, drink, and be in the company of others. Jesus, like, essentially, you know, made wine out of water mm-hmm. out of the, during the celebration and things like that. Like, he made water into wine, and it, was like, it wasn't just, like, your rinky-dink wine. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, it had to be the finest. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Jesus turned water into wine. We're called to enjoy drinks with each other. Paul tells Timothy, have some wine for your stomach. Uh, that's in either first or second Timothy. If you listeners are looking for a sighting on that, <laughs> but
But uh, I think the biggest issue is don't call don't cause each other to stumble. Don't cause yourself to stumble because that is a gray area. And I don't think there is really an answer or a black or white answer as maybe certain upbringings would want you to have about drugs and alcohol. I think there are great ways where you can glorify God and you guys can celebrate with wine. You guys can celebrate with whatever, but if it causes somebody to stumble, like if someone's a recovering alcoholic, don't do it because it's going to cause them to struggle in their walk with God. Just like what you were saying about a friend who is really trying to cut down weight. And then you guys go to the cheesecake factory and you order a whole cheesecake for yourself. It's definitely a matter of, does it glorify God? So John, so we're talking about my uh, view and my, I guess, stance on mm-hmm. um, drugs and alcohol. I think we kind of hit the alcohol part. What is your take on like, drugs and like the church and then uh the question you asked me earlier do you feel like they oppose or do they complement each other are they completely different all together yeah that's a great question so the way i learned in church and was conditioned was we we talked about galatians 5 earlier when it came to drunkenness but there was also a word in that list of sins in galatians 5 that was witchcraft and when I, when I was growing up in church and this became the conditioning for me is that we looked at the original Greek of witchcraft and it was pharmakeia, which is where we get the word pharmacy. So things that, that affect your mood, that affect your body, that affect your mind. And the way that I was taught was that drugs and alcohol fit into that category. And that's not saying like medicine is, is bad because it like medicine penicillin stuff like that can put you in your right like it helps your body it heals your body but the other side of that is that it can take away from your right self from your right mind and so i had always been taught and when i was walking with god was that like drugs and alcohol and i think i still hold this belief so i'll say that i hold this belief when it comes to if you're walking with god drugs cannot be a part of it if it puts you in the wrong mindset so if you look at medical marijuana things that are prescribed by people I'm of the belief that if you are following God, medical marijuana can be a great use because it helps put you in your right mind. It can help you de-stress. It can help you decompress. I think if you use it in the right way, it's good. But if you're pursuing it just for the enjoyment of hallucinations, not marijuana, but the harder drugs, hallucinations to escape, to experience life outside of one that God has already given you or ordained, that's when it's a sin. And that's where I stand. I think if you want to follow God, if you want to call yourself a Christian, once again, you have to be able to glorify God with what you're doing. And I don't believe that putting yourself outside of the right mind with the harder drugs is a way that you can glorify God because I think that takes away from the life that God has given you. And even abusing, even abusing marijuana is, it can get to a point where it becomes sinful and then abusing alcohol too. It can become sinful. I remember I had a very high tolerance at a certain point where I was still in the campus ministry and I would probably have a couple, couple doubles of whiskey and Coke and just relax and I'd be fine. But I also had this point where I got to where I was like, Oh no, I'm like getting outside of my right mind. I don't, I don't think I can properly glorify God in terms of a conversation, worship, teaching, whatever it is, while in this state of mind. And that's when I drew the line of, this is where alcohol has become a sin. And then that's where I would say that's where drugs become a sin as well. Anytime where you get outside of your, your right mind, where you can't glorify God actively. Good point. I totally agree with that. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Uh, and, and like I said, I think it's great. Like, like I think medical marijuana has a lot of great uses because it can relax the body and it can relax the mind in a way that maybe other medicines can't, or maybe other ways that your body doesn't respond to as well. But there has to be, there, there, there's always a line with anything in my opinion. And I think drugs and alcohol are no exception, but the harder things in my mind, they have no place if you're trying to follow God and, and pursue that i remember you saying in when we talked earlier prior to the this recording that something that's big for you is being able to break the chain 
of of drugs and alcohol in your family and how does so can you speak a little bit about how your relationship with god helps you break that chain with drugs and alcohol yeah so um the term that i I talk, think when I think about that, it's called it's kind of like a generational generational curse. Um, and what that means is, if you even go through like certain books of the Bible, even talks about like the generation curse. Especially, at, I want to say it's in Exodus thirty four seven, and it talks about the, the that that curse that's passed down through your family. And a lot of it has to do like some people believe it's like the your family's rebellion towards God or whatever. Um, mm. So, generation curses are something that's maybe like passed down through their experience or through, you know, whatever that may be. But I think breaking that, you know, it's helped me to, I guess, center myself and focus more on God and not necessarily the dependence on alcohol or, um, you know, marijuana, like my, or drug that my pants would be in. And so it's just, it's definitely, you know, I didn't know much about generation curses. I mean, I did hear about it one time when I was dating this one girl, and she talked about breaking the curse of her family. Um, mm-hmm. but, and as I have grown up, and I mean, I'm 33 years young, so being able to see the the path that I've taken versus my brother and sister, it's totally mm-hmm. different. Like they, they're stuck in that, you know, maybe used to drugs or um, stuff like that, whereas. I'm able to like break that and become my own defining my own legacy per se. So when I think about breaking that curse and why it's so key to my relationship with God and my walk is because essentially I'm, I mean, the things that I do are not for the show you per se, John, that I'm a great person or people that I work with that I'm, you know, some soapbox Christian that I'm mm-hmm. much better than you. Um, but the way that I live and the way that I choose to conduct myself is, is my legacy that I leave for what the people remember about Christ. Not necessarily. So, um, you know, in Galatians 2 20 talked about that earlier being my favorite verse, you know, it's like no longer I who let it live, but I who live in Christ, you know, laying down that life is that's what I'm doing. Like we lay down our life essentially to pursue what God has for us, uh, per se. Um, so we, again like you said we're not perfect so we have our struggles we have to like paul says in his writings we have to die daily to ourselves because we mm-hmm. ourselves can't do things because we get in our way or we do things that get in our way per se um so we have to be conscious of how we live and like, living a legacy to ultimately am i like you said before too like am i living in the way that's going to show christ in a positive way and i think growing up like the way i did it allows me to hopefully see that hey just because your mom and dad do this or you grew up this way you don't have to be that person you have the choice and you have the ability to overcome that but is it, are you willing to you know not not christian or not christian but are you willing to put into work to, to do that to not become that person that you saw um because i mean as a parent we always strive, and I'm sure it's going to be something with Oliver when he grows up. He's going to mm-hmm. there's probably going to be things that I've done at his dad that you know I fell short on. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, you want to be the better dad than you know your dad was to you. Sometimes, mm-hmm. they, sometimes your dad might not even been a bad dad, but you still want to be able to do different things. And so, I challenge people when, in you know, talking about drugs and alcohol, and if they don't or they do struggle with it because of past experiences or past relationships. Um, don't let that dictate you. Like, I mean, you can rise above it. I mean, is it going to be easy? Probably not. And that's when you have to really think about the people that you hang out with. Yeah. Like again, so if you're an alcoholic, you know, become an alcoholic and all your friends are alcoholic, and those people sound rough and mean, then maybe don't hang out with those people anymore, you know, yeah. just because that's going to be that trigger and you don't want to have that. And so it's just thinking about your sphere of influence, uh, you know, finding people who are going to support you in that journey of recovery. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. First Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So if you're able to follow God and enjoy a beer, enjoy some wine. If you're depending on what you, how, what you believe when the Bible comes to drugs, if you're able to, 
enjoy weed and yet glorify God and these different things. Once again, what Robert and I have been saying is that do it to the glory of God. Both when I think about this scripture with bad company corrupting good character, it's like, okay, well, I need to make sure I continually glorify God with this. But these people might not help me glorify God with this. They might take me down a, a more rotten path or, you know, what we talked about earlier with our life not matching our, our words. That can be dangerous too. And I think, that's, I think that's a huge part of it because drugs and alcohol, I think, might always be a, a gray area with church culture. And that's exactly why, why I wanted to talk about this and, you know, being able to talk about this with you and hopefully our listeners can have some great thoughts and questions or conversations that can be brought up from this podcast too. So a lot of really good insight just from your life about how drugs and alcohol have affected you, even talking about can someone really have a relationship with God with, in regards to drug and, drugs and alcohol. So a couple of advice questions for our listeners from you, Robert, is the first question, if someone is a Christian, if someone's following God, and let's say they just turned 21 or they've been thinking about marijuana for, for medical use or even recreational use or, you know, even the harder things, what would be your advice to them? All right. Perfect. Um, so as far as like 21 and stuff goes, I feel like that's, that's you know, a culture thing because then you feel like you can legally do it, you know, mm-hmm. so you feel like it's a sense of, of that's what the culture does. That's what I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. but as far as advice goes for that, like if you're a Christian and you know, you want to partake in those things or whatnot, uh, I guess the biggest key would be to make sure that you use God's word to guide your direction mm-hmm. rather than some, what someone tells you. Um, because we're human. We, we all don't have the answers. We all make mistakes and, and, and thinking the things that we think and say, um, because a lot of times we may think of our personal experience or something that we've seen with someone that dictates what we believe, but taking that, what does the Bible say and like interpreting it in the, in the way that God intended it to be interpreted, not necessarily, you know, what someone says, um, but using God's word to direct your, your decision in that. And then anything you do, put it to the test of of God's word. Um, that'd be the advice that I have for that Christian who maybe want to think about participating again, like we talked about earlier, it definitely changed my perspective, especially after listening to a sermon about alcohol, like my perspective has changed a lot, you know, and how I view it and, and don't feel, um, as guilty. Um, because that person that's going to judge you for like, if, if you're out and you're having a beer or whatever, and that person sees you, that person's just as sinful. If they think that it's a sin, then, them looking at you in that way of judging your walk with God because they, that's not their place to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then on the flip side, let's say someone has known drugs and alcohol all their life, whether they actively use it or it runs in their family and they've participated in some way. What would be your advice to that person who is interested in knowing more about God? but maybe they feel intimidated by the stigma that's given to drugs and alcohol. All right. So I'm going to start with the, the, the avenue of it um, from, you know, they have grown up in this atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. So I would challenge and help them to see that just because that's what you, all you've known, you don't have to partake in that. You don't have to be that statistic. You know, mm-hmm. oh, this is all I'm going to ever be because of what my mom and dad were or because ultimately in the Christian walk, it's like what your parents do and essentially somewhat say is not as important as what God's telling you and what God says, because mm-hmm. you're, you're responsible for you, you know, not what your parents think or whatever. You're responsible for yourself. And it's realizing that it, it's not the stigmatism around once you become a Christian, it's going to be easy. That that's that's very scrutinized. Like if you're gonna just because I become a Christian doesn't mean that oh well now I'm gonna have this. I'm gonna you know not have to worry about money or worry about a job or I'm never gonna have problems anymore. 
we're still, you're still going to have problems. There's a trial. So what God uses to test our faith in him, he uses the trials um, to test us. So we produce that faith. So really just think if that's the case, you're like, you don't have to be that person if you don't want to be, and you can rise above that occasion. Yeah. Um, with, as far as like wanting to know more about God and stuff like that, that, you know, you have to participate and you, I would just say, and you want to know more, ask questions. Uh, that's key. Questions are key to help you because you had those questions for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't ask those questions, you're never going to know. So, uh, you know, if God is the path that you want to pursue, asking those questions around the right person, um, that someone's not going to judge you or things in that matter. Um, but I would suggest find someone you know who's a Christian and you, you see them not only talk that talk, but walk that walk in a sense, like that light that yeah. they give off. That way that's the person you know that, hey, I need to go ask this person about this question or why does you know, something allow something to happen? Because they're going to be, I think, more equipped than someone who just talks the talk um, per se. You know, like, oh, I go to church, but then. I'm turned up on Friday night, you know, I'm plastered. <laughs> That's not probably the first thing you want to want to be, but then that person too often needs to be genuine and love you for who you are. Because again, we're human and we make mistakes. And mm-hmm. another key thing is you don't have, you know, God doesn't require you to be perfect. So on the flip side of, um, you can get out of that, you know, lifestyle and that you're not going to have problems when you become a Christian on the flip side is that, you don't have to be perfect. God's not expecting you to have your life together, essentially stop what you're doing automatically if it is the sin that God calls a sin. But he's prepping you for that that moment. So you don't have to be perfect. So sometimes I think we have this, this idea of, well, I'm going to get my life right first, and then I'll come to God to be the best version of myself. I think on the flip side, version, let, allow him to take that brokenness that pain that struggle that addiction whatever it may be allow him to use that for his story and goes back to like using it for your glory like make that your story make that a way that you're not just that statistics of okay i grew up in this neighborhood or i come from this background so that's all i'm gonna be but allow him to work through that avenue um it goes back to what you were saying with my path of how Drugs and alcohol brought me to God and the path that, you know, was given to me versus that path that was, that was yours. It's totally different. So again, you don't have to be perfect. Ask questions and yeah, and God will take care of the rest. Yeah. It's such a gray subject, drugs and alcohol, because a lot of what we discussed today is that God says you can enjoy wine you can enjoy alcohol for his glory we also discussed that we should do anything for god's glory no matter what it is if it's drinking do it to god's glory and with even with drugs if it's possible to use it for god's glory use it for god's glory and then we've also seen the other side which is the way i grew up which was very no drugs no alcohol you think about it you're sinful you look at it the weird way, you're wrong. And I think it's something that's going to continue to be a long conversation and a conversation that needs to be had where, like what you said, Robert, we do pursue the truth. We do go after what the Bible says about it and not just fall into, well, this is what I've always known or this is what somebody told me, but it's like, I'm going to really draw this out to see if I want to follow God, can I still participate in these things can these things be used for god's glory and make decisions from there uh so i want to thank you first of all for being on uh thank you so much for taking the time uh to be on here uh, and talk about these things i thank you for having me like i i mean it's my first podcast but i've really enjoyed like the conversation um so i appreciate you taking the time to have me on and to be a part of whatever the outcome of this podcast is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we definitely want to keep this conversation going, whether it's between listeners who maybe you share this podcast and you say, Hey, let's, let's, let's talk about this after you've listened to it. You know, maybe you share it with a friend 
Or if you have questions for me or Robert, and if you want to talk to Robert specifically to get your story, get your advice, maybe you just want to have a safe space where you can talk about certain things, or you can continue to have a conversation about drugs and alcohol and God. Robert, where can people reach you? So they reach me on Facebook, Robert Mullins. So I got with a beard, and most likely I'll have a picture with me and my family. Don't, don't really do any of the other ones outlets. Um, but if you want to email me, you can go back to my fascination with my beard. Um, my email is gingerbeard1538 at gmail.com. So shoot me an email or messenger on Facebook. I mean, I'd be glad to talk more or answer any questions or, you know, help out in any way that, you know, I can. Yeah. Fantastic. And I'll put all that information where you can message Robert on my Instagram page for the podcast. And then for the Facebook page for the podcast, guys, thank you so much for listening. Once again, Robert, thank you so much for having the time to come on and, and being willing to talk about this topic. And thank you guys as the listeners for, for listening and tuning in. And we'll see you next time.